0: The epistle can be found on page 1888 of the New International Version of the Holy Bible. It is from the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, verses 13 through to verse 18. Submission to rulers and masters. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as three men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king this is the word of the Lord be to
1: God. well it's good to be back with you again I think I've got a couple of weeks off after this before I come back again let's pray we may Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see the wonders of your word. Amen. Well, last week, and again this morning, we've heard those breathtaking truths about who we are in Christ. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once not a people, but now the people of God. Once we'd not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So what now? How do we live? True, we know from that verse that we are to declare the praises of him who called us. But how do we do it? What do we do to live out the Christian life? And the first thing to say is this. This is nothing to do with impressing God. This is nothing to do with earning his love. This is nothing to do with deserving his forgiveness. All those verses are written to the people who, in chapter 1, in the first few verses of Paul's letter, are God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the seed sprinkled with his blood. Those who, in his great mercy, he has given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So these words that we hear, we've just heard this morning, are written to those who are Christians, who know God's calling, who are chosen by him. God's grace always precedes the demand for obedience. We don't have to be holy to be called, We get the command to be called once we, the command to be holy once we have been called because the one who calls us is holy. And it's all there in chapter one. And that you probably read about four weeks ago or something now. Good idea when you get home, reread that passage because it sets the tone of everything else. And sometimes we, we we're taking these little verses, these little packages of verses. We actually need to remember that what the context is and where it comes from. So today it's all about how do we live as Christians? Having become Christians, how do we live? And Peter introduces a social code, a code that probably should introduce should include the last two verses. Of last Sunday's reading, good life, when we were urged to abstain from sinful desires and to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now, social codes were all about how to behave on particular occasions, baptism, persecution, or particular circumstances. And they were a regular method of instruction in the early church. And we see other examples of them in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, for example. And in this social code, we're gonna see later on in the letter about the behavior of slaves towards masters, of women towards men and men towards women in marriage, and leaders towards their churches, the elders towards the flock. But today, we're looking about Christians and the civil authorities, the emperor, the kings. It's all about Christians living in a pagan society. So, depending on your view about the society we live in, it could be very pertinent for us today. And the passage opens submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Maybe that's better says every institution ordained for men, which is quite subtle in a sense, but human authority suggests the framework of authority is set up by men. But it's actually God who creates the sphere of human affairs, just as he creates and ordains all things. And the key word in this social code that's going to go all the way through is Submit. What does that mean? What does that bring to mind when we hear the word submission? We can so easily hear actually the word subjugation, which is very different. Subjugation is something you're forced into. You're made to be submissive. But submission means choosing, choosing to yield control to another. And submission in the Bible is motivated by a love for God. We submit to one another because of love, a love for God, and a love for one another. And of course, that love of God is the greatest commandment given to us by God. And we submit because of the Lord. The call to submission never starts with the human institution, but with God. There's all sorts of issues in politics, just at the moment. In a country where sometimes we've been used to pointing a rather sneering finger at other political systems in the world, we actually find there's corruption in our own government on a fairly large scale. When did blatantly using public money money to gain support for a political party stop becoming bribery? When did it become okay for a politician to get caught out deliberately lying and not being brought to account for it? Doesn't truth matter anymore? But regardless of how, you probably disagree with everything I said then, But regardless of whether you agree with that, regardless how we look at the institutions, we have a command and that's the command that motivates us. You see, the command isn't dependent on the human institution or what we think about it. The command is dependent on God. We submit because of the Lord. Peter goes on in verse 16 to say, live as free people, live as God's slaves. And the submission brings a freedom. When we've turned to God and submitted ourselves to him, become his slaves, we've found freedom from the bondage of sin. And we are supremely subject to God as our highest authority. And at the end of the day, that actually frees us from our earthly rulers' authority. We don't owe them anything because of them. We only submit to them because God has sent us into the world to obey human institutions, to submit for the Lord's sake. Jesus talked about this issue when they had the little incident with the temple tax. Do you remember in Matthew 17? Uh, the collectors come to Peter and say, could we have the temple tax? And ask Peter, doesn't your teacher pay it? And Peter says, of course he does. And he goes back and talks to Jesus about it because uh, he actually didn't know about it. And Jesus says, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And Peter says, from others. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said. But anyhow, let's pay... God's our father, take it and give it to them. You see, if God's our father and he's king over this world, and we're children of the king, we don't owe anything to anyone here because of their intrinsic authority. We only owe anyone anything on this earth if our God, with all his authority, tells us to do it. And he does. He says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Of course, there's more about tax when the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to catch Jesus out about what was due to Caesar in Mark 12, 13 to 17. And Jesus' reply was, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to what, to God, what is God? Now, of course, none of us really wants to pay tax, but actually, it's a privilege that we are in a financial position that we can help to support others. But even when we fundamentally disagree about how it's spent, and I guess we do a little bit of that occasionally. However, we fundamentally disagree how it's spent, we still submit to the authorities and gladly pay it. You see, when we think about living as free people, yet submitting and being always slaves to God, the one thing we have to keep in mind is that the two will always exist together. There's no such thing as someone who is not submissive to someone, something or someone else. We all submit to some law or to someone. But all are not free. The Christian faith is about the freedom that we get because of our submission firstly to God. And the Christian faith isn't about what we can't do, but what we can do. We're free to worship. We're free to come into God's presence in prayer. We're free to be ourselves. We're free to call God our Father. We're free to fail and yet still be loved. We're free to be broken. We're free to ask for forgiveness time and time again. The Christian life should look like a celebration of freedom that comes from submission to God and his word. And for the Christian, our freedom is is found in our submission because of the Lord. And so to that first verse, submit to yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority, whether to the emperor or the king as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. When we talk about submission to the emperor or submission to the king, we often think of heavy-handed, corrupt, oppressive power. And there is, in Scripture, a sustained and powerful attack on injustice and abuse of human power by human rulers. But in spite of the abominable way some authorities behave, and not the least to Christian people, it's part of God's will for there to be government, because all does better than nothing. Hatred of injustice might lead us to want to become revolutionaries. But Peter says there's another way. Submit to ruling authorities. Tom Wright on this passage says, Serving the true God by living a peaceful, wise, and visibly good life may in the end be more revolutionary than overthrowing a corrupt regime and replacing it by, well... Most likely, just another one. We actually see that in history, don't we? Very often, there are corrupt, government, corrupt regimes. And so, very often, we think the way to do it is to send in the troops and bring it down. And then we look around in a few years' time, and what do we find? A corrupt regime. Because it's all done on power, and who's who's got the most soldiers, and all that sort of thing. It doesn't actually work. Strong governments might be oppressive, but some might argue that a benign dictator is better for a people than a paralyzed government that can't make decisions. None of this, of course, takes away from us the responsibility to be involved in politics because we have that privilege in our situation. None of it takes away the responsibility for calling out corruption and wrongdoing by government. And there is a line which we will not cross when human authority conflicts with God's. And no government likes that. We know that governments that support freedom in other parts of the world call people who disagree with them dissidents in their own country. It's very two faced. And we see their own Kett's rebellion to the Waterloo massacre. We see that in our own history in the past and not so far back in the past, too. And as we read on in this letter, we're going to find that Peter's under no illusion that uh, if Christians live well, the authorities will somehow instantly respect them. Far from it. Throughout history and across the world today, Christians are called to suffer, following the example of Christ himself. Jesus, who could have called down a legion of angels, submitted to arrest by the temple guards. He submitted to an admittedly illegal kangaroo court and finally submitted to the death sentence by Pilate. He didn't have to do that. He could have snapped his fingers. But he submitted, submitted to authority because of the Lord. And, of course, when we have no fear of death, authorities are ultimately powerless. I remember reading the testimony of somebody who was in... It really annoys me because I can't remember who it was. But it was really moving because they were in prison and eventually they realized that he was not afraid of dying. And the torture stopped. They said, there's nothing we can do. We give up on you because you have no fear of death. So we're left with these final words from our passage. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Honour the king. We have to respect all. No. It wasn't football clubs who got to that first. God got to there a long time ago. And respecting people is actually... A really rare commodity, apart from in spite of all the words about it. Fearing God, yes. Honoring the emperor, honoring the king. That includes, of course, praying often for those in authority. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2 I urge that, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. But actually, peaceful and quiet lives won't be possible for many. I'm wearing my African church shirt today, and uh, and one of my uh, dioceses that I worked in had a link with Kenya and we were invited into David Guitari's house. He'd retired um, as um, Archbishop of, uh, of Kenya, and he told us all about his story about when he was speaking out against the government, they sent the thugs in to certainly attack him, possibly kill him, and he had to spend the night up on the roof hiding from them. And do you know, that kind of almost stretched my imagination, my, my credibility. Can that really happen? But that's how many people live. That's how much care a lot of governments have for human rights, of human people. And Christians who stand up against those sorts of governments will not have a peaceful and quiet life. That's costly. And so... We need to love the family of believers, particularly those who are not able to live peaceful and quiet lives. We need to uphold them in our prayers, in our support for them in whatever way, and sometimes that will be politically and and in in some, some sort of way putting pressure on their governments. Sometimes it will be actually just practically giving them means to live, because often that's how governments People economically? All that is costly. Many people assume they're owed a comfortable and trouble free life, but that's not on offer for Christians if we follow Christ's own own example. But that's something to explore next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You call us to a costly following of Jesus. We thank you for the freedoms we enjoy in our society that many Christians and other people do not have. But there are injustices in our own country, as well as across the world. Give us wisdom to know how to submit to the civil authorities and courage to act when we need to follow the example of your Son even through to the path of suffering. Amen.